For me, sometimes his presence is so deep and so rich that I don't want to move, don't want to speak. And uh, this is one of those moments for me. And yet he said, baby, go ahead. So here I am. He must know something I don't know, <laughs> obviously. As I've been really listening for tonight, he kept saying the phrase to me, the king's table is set. I have prepared for them. And as Jennifer was praying for worship this weekend, she said, do you know what you're sharing? And I said, I have one sentence. That's all I have. And then we talked on the phone as she was driving uh, home from clinic, from work. And she said, what do you have? And I said, I have a quote. <laughs> but I have a faithful Holy Spirit. And I have learned over the years that if he doesn't lead, don't make up a teaching, even though you could. You know, when you know the word of God, you could connect a few dots here and there. So here's the quote that he led on. The true fire of God strikes deep in the interior nature of who you are. It produces a profound inward life with God. It lights up the vast hidden chambers of your soul. It leads you to profound prayer. It reveals fathomless depths of humility. It weans the mind more and more away from outward things. And it unites you in an inexpressible way into the hidden life of God. The true fire produces great tenderness of spirit. It puts a sweetness and a gentleness in your voice, your manners, and the expressions on your face. The true fire produces a deep, gentle yearning for the welfare of everybody everywhere. Your life has been defined by God as divine. And perhaps years and years ago, I could have said that sentence and kept going. But I guess the woman he's made me can't do that anymore. I think, who is this God of humility? And surely sovereignty is true love expressed. <laughs> but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit look at you and I and, and say, I call you divine. I say you're a partaker in my divine nature. It's the way Peter described it. 
You are my divine partner. You are my equal. Which still causes me to shake inside. I remember maybe 20, 25 years ago, the Lord said, pray that you will forever have wonder. And that with every season of life, you will grow in greater wonder of who I am. That the longer you know me, the more speechless you will be, the more in wonder and the more in awe you will be, not the more you will know. And so I stand before you saying, who is this God that invites us to his table? In Genesis, God stooped. He knelt over Adam. He knelt over him and formed him and breathed into him and said, in my image be. And when he said that he would bless him, it was the Hebrew word of, I will kneel to serve you, Adam and Eve, so that you can be lifted up into my image. It's as if he was saying, do you see? Do you see me walking in the cool of the day? Do you see this Garden of Eden? Do you see the table I've prepared for you? But metaphorically, Adam and Eve believed the serpent like, oh, I think God's hiding some food in the kitchen he's not sharing with us. So they couldn't come and feast at the table because they were so sure God was holding out on them. They just couldn't believe the love. That was the way it was for Mephibosheth. Don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's one of those hidden little stories in Scripture in 2 Samuel 9. He was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of King Saul. He had grown up in a royal palace. That's where he was birthed into a royal family. And then when Saul's kingdom was falling, literally the babysitter picked up Mephibosheth as a young child and is running because she is so sure King David is bad and will hurt him. And she drops him and he's crippled for life. But she is so sure that King David is not trustworthy, she hides the grandson of the former king in a place called Lodabar, which literally means in a trash dump in the worst slums of slums. She's hiding him in filth and dirt because she's so convinced. And because she became family for Mephibosheth, she accepted the nanny's spiritual life and the nanny's view on life. And so when King David finds out that Jonathan has an heir, he literally, in the Hebrew, he sends his royal entourage to gather up Mephibosheth and give him a royal promenade to the king's table. And David said, come, you are in my royal family. Sit at the table with me. And Mephibosheth said, I'm a dog. I'm a dog. Uh-uh, I don't belong here. What's up? He didn't trust David, and for his whole life, he never really did. 
And so he was at the king's table, but because he had believed what those who raised him had said, he never could receive that King David was saying, come, be an equal with my sons. As surely as the father says, come, be an equal with my son. And that was what Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, you know, Father, I wish they could believe you loved them the way you love me. All throughout scripture, it was the table. A table of a zillion varieties, descriptions, and purposes where people met God. And it's because it's such an integral part of our humanity. We meet around tables, whether it's a Starbucks table, your kitchen table, a Thanksgiving table, a happy birthday party table. We meet around tables, and when we meet around tables in our humanity, we meet as like equals. And God goes, it was my idea, this table thing, this gathering in oneness, this fellowshipping with one another. The early church understood it. Of course, you know that. They gathered at each other's tables daily as equals, and they fellowshiped, and they worshiped, and they shared, and they met each other's needs. Even in the temple, when Moses says, I've seen the temple in heaven, and God's told me to build a tabernacle and a temple here on earth, One of my favorites is there's an altar, which is prophetic of the cross, where the lamb is slain. It's on the outside of the temple. And then next is the laver, and that's where you wash and you're clean, talking about if you believe in the blood of the lamb, you're clean now. And then you go into the temple, and there's the menorah, this big candelabra with lights saying, he will be your light, interior, the light of your life, the light of your path. He wants to walk beside you like a friend and light it up for you. And over here was the table of showbread, and the aroma of fresh bread was there. And he was saying, I, I want to eat with you. I want to fellowship with you, just even on common things like bread. I, I want to be at your table. And the showbread also was his presence. So I just want my presence to be at whatever table you are, the place you are in your car, at your work office, your desk, your family, wherever you're sitting. I want to be there with you. And then next was the altar of incense. And if you really look at the Hebrew meaning for the spices, it's a picture of an action. And the spices mean this. This is the table where I bring all my difficulties, all my questions, all my unanswered prayers, all my stuff that's struggling inside. People don't like me. I feel less than anything that causes you to doubt, to struggle, to be anything but total peace. And the Hebrew picture is you lift up your myrrh like this. And then the other spice was you lift it up higher, the full extent of your arm. 
And then you separate your arms. You back off and let it go. And the fire of God will fall on that difficulty, that struggle, and a sweet incense will arise. And then you're ready to go into the holy place of his presence. God was saying, whatever season of life you're in, I have a picture in here prophetically to tell you, I have a table for you. I have a table for you. And Jesus, who had shared many meals and tables of eating and fellowship and questioning all his years with the disciple, came on Passover night. And then you know the story. He took off his garment and he humbled himself and he said, I'm going to wash your feet. You're saying, you don't understand. I'm telling you, we're one. I will wash your feet. And they shared the table. And he lifted the bread and the cup. And it was a place of fellowship. But very few people really in scripture understood it. Abraham did. When the Lord talked to Abraham and said, Abraham, here's the table I've prepared for you. Here's my covenant. I'm going to make you a father of nations and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. Come and feast and believe, Abraham. And bit by bit, his faith grew and Abraham feasted on everything on the table and so did Sarah. So much so in the New Testament, it's Abraham who's the father of faith. And he prepared a feast for David, and David ate of it. And a shepherd boy who was thought to be nothing by his father became the greatest king in the history of the world. He prepared a way for Esther. She stepped in, and step by step, her faith grew. She believed more. God loves me. God has me here for a purpose. God will empower me. She feasted on the truths and the promises of God, and she made a difference in the entire world. My favorite that has touched my heart for a long time is in Mark 14. We don't know very much about this woman. We don't know her name. Commentators will guess, but the truth is the Holy Spirit didn't give it. And we don't know how many times Jesus went to the house of Simon the leper. But the table is set. There's all men at the table. And they're talking and debating and jostling and jaunting and and all we know is a woman walks in and she's feasted at the table of Jesus she has received everything he has just taught and poured out and this woman is walking in fat from the feasting on the truth of the Lord and she walks in and when the men are going what's she doing here get her out of here what she's just 
steady as she goes, a peaceful woman, and she knows I have feasted at his table, but she understands divine hospitality. I must now give him a table so he can feast. So she comes to Jesus and she does what no other one had done. She anoints him on his head. And the room exploded because they understood she was saying to him, I'm anointing you on your head because I see you're a king. And I'm anointing you on your head because I see you're a high priest. It's the only time you anointed the head. The room went bonkers, angry, gnashing of teeth, the scripture says. Jesus says, you leave her alone. She prepared a table for me to feast and to be comforted and to be prepared for my best. Don't you touch her. She made a table I could eat at and be comforted. He says, she, she's done a beautiful thing. And the line that still I wish we would just get saturated in the church with. He said, as long as you preach this gospel, you talk about this woman. Now, he didn't say that about anybody else. Why did he want us as teachers and preachers and Bible study leaders to talk about this woman even more than we talk about Abraham and David and Peter and Paul? Because she came and she ate of his presence and she ate of his truth and she ate of his grace and she was transformed and she received the divine invitation to now say, Jesus, may I prepare a place for you to sup and for you to receive It's a miracle, you see. We are the righteousness of Christ. He sees us as divine. And every moment of every day, he says, I, I have a place at the king's table for you. Can, can you come? Will you sit as equals with me, bride and bridegroom? Will you eat everything on the table? All my love, all my joy, all my healing, all my promises, my sovereignty, the revelation of me as the Messiah, the Savior, the healer, the deliverer, the great morning star, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Jesus. Will you eat of me? May you live by drinking my blood and eating my flesh. May I feast with you. Come. Don't think, receive. He said, but you're my bride. I'm the bridegroom. You come feast on who I am, but don't forget 
I'm hungry too. And I want to feast on who you are. Will you prepare a table for me? You say, Jesus, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. He says, you'll receive, I'll be found, I'll open the door to you. But you see, the intimacy is to say, Jesus, ask what you will, and you'll receive it from me. Seek for whatever you want, you can find it in me. And you can knock on any door of my life, and I will swing it open, and we'll go anywhere you want. We're partners in this, Jesus. I'm not going to just feast at your table. I love you. And when you love someone, there is a mutuality. When you love someone, you just want them to have their prayers answered. It isn't all, would you do this for me? Would you do this for me? Would you do this for me? It's like, oh, what can I do for you? And I'm not talking about a religious of being busy and doing. It's a heart position. It goes, Jesus, Jesus, how are you today? How are you today, Jesus? I know a lot of people around the world have rejected you today, and they didn't want your love. And I know a lot of believers are doubting you big time. And yet when you walk this earth, you let us see. You weep, you cry, you get hurt. Jesus, I'm not claiming to be all that, Jesus, but I love you. And if there's any little part of you that's wounded because people have rejected you today, Holy Spirit, help me embrace him all the more. Let, let me be a place where the Son of Man can rest his head. You see, in Scripture, table is intimacy. Table is, is where we're, we're equals and, and we share not just with each other, but when you're at the king's table, he shares all of his feasting to feed you. And then you realize he's poured out so much for me. Jesus, how can I prepare you a table? And you see, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's not that kind of a thing. It's a heart position of being aware that you, you're his bride. And you can comfort him and strengthen him. Do you know that just when he walked this earth and he saw how Jerusalem couldn't receive him and he wept and he wept, do you know he still has days when he weeps? Don't you think he weeps over all those who still don't believe in him? Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still has days when he weeps.
the writer of Hebrews understood it by revelation, and he said, even now, Jesus lives to intercede and pray for you so that you will receive the fullness of salvation. Everything at the table, every promise, every presence, every intimacy, revelation, transformation. Because he said in his prayer, my joy's made complete when they believe me. My joy is made complete when they know they are my delight. They are my passion. So, beloved, who are we? of love and humility and vulnerability in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that they say we want you to be in family. We want you to be close to us. This isn't just a sweet little tag. You're a son and daughter of God. No, we want relationship. It's not just a sweet little metaphor that you're the bride of Jesus. No, it's his passion. And he has a passion for you as much as the Father has a passion for Israel, who is his bride, saying, come. I think one of the saddest things is in the book of Revelation when he's talking to the church of Laodicea, and he said, you know, you believe in me, but you're not super cold and hard-hearted, but you really don't have the fire of God. And he said, yeah. You know, behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. In essence, I want to come in and feast at your house. If you'll open up, I'll feast with you. I'll fellowship with you. And you can just feel a sadness like they didn't understand. I wanted a mutual relationship and a mutual feasting. They were just doing the journey of being a believer. They, they didn't understand me. So they weren't hot and they weren't cold. They just obeyed and kept doing and doing. So, miracle of miracles. And I do mean miracle of miracles. Jesus is saying, I went to the cross to render you divine. You are, what does scripture say? You're not of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. I went to the cross so whoever believed on me would have a complete transformation. You are divine to me. And because I call you divine, you stand with me as my bride, as an equal, and together in our oneness, we shall heal this world. But we shall not be so focused on healing the world that we forget. A bridegroom wants to love the bride one-on-one, and the bride wants to love the bridegroom one-on-one. And it's the foundation of the privacy, the privacy of the bridegroom and the bride's love that determines what table they set together for the world.
If I feast at my bridegroom's table and I live in such a way that my heart swings wide to him and he can feast on me, then we both come out full, overflowing, that we have a lot to pour out that the world can feed on. And it is this amazing gift of love and invitation. And if I can be so bold, it takes the Christianity and it sets it free from codependency. Christianity is not God, will you do this? 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 And God, why don't you do this? And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's a mutual relationship of where I am nothing without him and I have nothing good in me unless I have feasted at his table and I am living out of what he has put inside of me. And he says, I have confined my thing, myself to the heavens, and I have no voice in the earth but you. Let me feast at your table, and you feast at my table, and together our partnership in the earth will change you to live out the divine life I've called you to, and we, we will touch people together. It's a great loving gift. An invitation. And the table is always set to come and receive from him any and all that you desire. And even more than that, any and all that he promises in his word. And then he comes to me and I say, feast upon me. Let my thoughts be unto you, my heart unto you. Let me give you a humility. Let me give you a personality that's willing to be molded and transformed and changed. You feast on humility. You feast on joy. You feast on worship. Here, feast. And at the same time, I'm going, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to prepare a feast for the Lord. I, I don't. Give me the power. Give me the power to love and the power to yield and the power to have the vision and the power to worship and the power to say, Jesus, whatever you're needing and praying in the world today, I agree. Come feast at my table and I will give you agreement by the power of the Spirit that your heart will be touched today. Blessed be the word of the Lord.